Amen. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate that. Well, before I get into Advent this week, I want to report briefly on uh, last week was Giving Thanks Sunday, and uh, we will be leaving our giving options open. There was an opportunity to give as an expression of thanks to God. Uh, you can write the check out to Cottonwood, but we'll pass it all on to two organizations, Stable Days, Youth Ranch, and Love in Action, and we uh, were choosing ahead of time to leave that opportunity open through online giving through this Sunday, so if you wanted to still do that, you can, and next week I'll let you know um, a little bit more about that. So <clears throat> this morning is the advent of hope. Um, traditionally, Advent has had several themes that are on that bookmark that you got. The Advent of Hope is week one of Advent. The Advent of Peace is week two. The Advent of Joy is week three. And the Advent of Love is week four. And then on Christmas Day, we remember who all of that, that hope, peace, love, and joy point to. And that's the Advent of Christ. Um, today's the Advent of Hope. <clears throat> when I was about 10 years old, um, my dad was still in the Air Force. Uh, that's why I'm here in North Dakota. I got drugged here by my family. My dad was in the Air Force. He was stationed out at the Air Force Base, and then he got out, and I never left, at least not long enough to get away permanently. And when he was in the Air Force, like many uh, servicemen, uh, he got stationed overseas. Um, when I was young, those, those TDYs, or whatever they called now, could be quite long. And he was actually stationed, when I was about 10 years old, in Korea for a year, a whole year, um, over in Korea. This was uh, before the internet was a thing that you and I could access regularly. There, weren't, there were such things as cell phones, but most people did not possess them. Probably there were only a couple in the whole state of North Dakota. There definitely wasn't FaceTime, and you paid for every minute of phone time that was outside of, like, calling Grand Forks or East Grand Forks. Like, if you wanted to call Mekinoc, you paid for that. It's kind of weird, I know. It's so weird. <clears throat> but calling to Korea was a lot of money uh, long distance. So we communicated via letters. Um, we had a couple of probably very brief phone calls, but what we did more than anything, I've mentioned this before, is we recorded ourselves talking about what was going on in our lives, my dad and my mom and my kids, on things called cassette tapes. <laughs> They're like square, about actually the size of, where's my, about the size of my cell phone. Most of you do not have cassette tape size cell phones. I usually ask, like, is there one about the size of a cassette tape? Because that's what I want. I like a smaller one. But you would, you know, record it and put it in the cassette player and send it back and forth. And so we sent those via mail. At the end of that year, I don't remember what season it was, and this happened more than once because he was on more than one TDY, but I think what my clearest memory is waiting for that time when he was coming back and going out to the Grand Forks airport and waiting for him to come through those doors and we were it was you know it's a little odd um, I think maybe because it was I was younger um, but there was there was excitement and there was a little nervousness like I don't know why it was a weird mixed feeling but I was excited we were nervous yeah a little nervous and is he really gonna you know kind of like when is it gonna happen is he really did there's was he gonna be on the plane is all that sort of things you don't know for sure as a kid but what we were eagerly anticipating, my brother and I and my mom, was the advent of our dad's presence back into our everyday lives. That's like a modern-day uses of the word advent. He was coming back. 
He was coming. That's what Advent means. Um, it comes from a Latin word, Adventus. Really, you know, shorten it off, make it sound normal. Advent it just means arrival. Um, in, the, in, the, in the Bible, that word, um, in Latin translations of the Bible, that is the word that's usually used in the New Testament to talk about Christ's second coming, the coming of the Lord. It's, it's a similar word, the advent of the Lord. In fact, the early church thought a lot more about the second coming of Christ than they did about the first coming of Christ. Um, they were really excited about that. Um, in English, you probably have used other, heard the word advent and other things like the advent of the internet would change my experience completely or yours if your parent had to go overseas for a length of time, correct? Because it allows you to stay connected and communicate more. Um, the advent season that has been traditionally observed and celebrated by the Christian church um, was probably fairly well established by the fourth or fifth century, like I said, the early church was actually more uh, focused, if they were going to focus on one of the two advents of Christ, his first one when he entered as a baby, and his second one when he comes back and sets things all right, more focused on the second one. But by the 4th or 5th century, both of them were pretty well celebrated. This morning, the advent of hope, I want you to think about this. Hope, what is hope to you? What do you think of when you think of hope? Um, on the, the, the Bible app, the version, I'm doing a, an Advent Reflections by the Bible Project. I would highly recommend it. The Bible Project does fantastic videos that will, in three or four minutes, explain a very deep, complex, whole, throughout the whole Bible theme in a way that's memorable. And for the Advent of Hope this, this week, they did uh, a theme on hope. And in the Old Testament... Uh, the two words that we would have translated as hope are actually wait. Okay, so let's, let's raise our hands. If you had to choose, who would choose, choose hope versus wait? Which one do you want? You want hope? Raise your hand. Okay. You want to wait? Raise your hand. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? We, it's some kind of like what, how we think about hope is probably different than how the Bible describes it because of that. Um, in the Bible, verses that say, like, wait on the Lord might also say, hope in the Lord. Or wait with the Lord, hope in the Lord. They're kind of interchangeable. And I think what we're going to see is that hope, biblically, is related to a person, where oftentimes we tend to relate it to a thing, usually a circumstance. But in the Bible, it's related to a person. And this morning, when we talk about the advent of hope, the coming of hope, we're talking about the coming of hope in a person whose name is Jesus. That's what we're focused on. Now, you don't need hope when things are going well and you have all that you want and it feels like everything's right in life. Have you had a moment or two in your life where it kind of feels like that? And I say that literally, a moment or two, my guess is that it probably hasn't been very long seasons, but you may have had a few moments short seasons of that. We don't need hope usually, or we don't have a felt need for hope. Here's when we need hope. When we have a sense of loss or lack in our lives, when something is missing, we have a sense that something's missing that seems important or that we truly want 
or need, not necessarily selfishly, but that we have a deep desire for. So this morning when we think about the advent of hope, the coming of hope, what we're really thinking about is the coming of Jesus is really the coming of hope to our longing souls. Our souls that long because we aren't in a perfect place yet. Our souls long for that sense of all things being right. And when Jesus came into the world, he was coming to give us hope. This week, when you read your Advent, if you read along with us in, on the, that reading list that is on that bookmark, you can find it on the Bible app, you'll get it in the newsletter if you want it there. If you read along, we're going to read through a few sections, and each week I, I challenge you to think about, it won't correspond every week as closely as it does this week, the theme of hope corresponds. It wasn't super strategic, I just looked at the verses and I noticed it. But look for the themes of hope, peace, love, Enjoy as you read along in those Advent bookmarks. This week, you're going to read John 1 that talks about how the light came into the darkness. And that's speaking about Jesus. John 1, the whole chapter, which is what we'll close this series on. Pastor Tom will preach that on New Year's Eve. John 1 is really talking about Jesus entering in different ways. And think about this. First, there's darkness. There's something that's missing. And then comes the light. That's hope. In, Jeremiah, in Isaiah 11, we, there's a, a, an image, a prophetic image, talking about how there's a stump and a shoot will grow out of the stump and will bear fruit. Now, a stump, I'm going to actually, anyone want to cut some wood and work, have a, a, like a practical woodworking workout? Come on over to my place. We're doing that this afternoon. I'm serious. You can. You can go home with some wood. By the way, $8 for a bundle of wood at Walmart. Come on over and save some money. I'll send you home with a few $8 bundles. We're going to actually cut some trees down. When you cut a tree down in a stump, that stump looks dead, right? Whether it was alive or not. So first there's death in the stump, and then a shoot comes out of the stump, and life comes. That's hope. First there was something you wanted, life, and then that thing came. Okay, you're going to read Isaiah 11. Jeremiah 33 is a similar image. It talks about a righteous branch that sprouts up from David. But then it says this, to administer justice and righteousness in the land. Why would there need to be someone that brings justice and righteousness? Because there isn't that. First, there's injustice and unrighteousness. And then this branch, this shoot will ride up and cause justice to roll like a river and righteousness to rain down in a desert. That's hope. In Matthew 1, which you'll also read, there is also hope. Matthew 1 talks about the birth of Jesus, how it came about, and there's Mary, and she's engaged, not yet married, hasn't been with her husband in a way that a husband and a wife come together, but she's found to be pregnant. Shame, indecency. Joseph likely was wrestling with what to do. Does he, does he make a wretched choice of bringing a public accusation against his fiancée, which could lead in her death? Or does he not and continue forward and live a life of humiliation? 
That happened first. Sorry, we have constant problems with these things. Or, what does he do? Well, first, there's this potential for shame, and there seems like betrayal, and then that's rolled back, right? Joseph has this sleepless night. He doesn't know what to do, and then God comes to him in a dream, and he, set, and he, gives, jo- Math, or he gives Joseph this promise, this vision, that I'm behind this, Joseph, and I'm behind this in a significant way. The child that is going to be born to your wife, Mary, is Emmanuel, God with us. Luke, which we won't read this week, but we will read eventually, starts out before Jesus' story with another story of loss. It's Elizabeth and Zechariah, an old couple who have wanted children but have remained childless the whole time. That's how it starts. Hopelessness, and then a miracle. Elizabeth becomes pregnant. That's Mary's cousin or relative. So this morning when we talk about the advent of hope, I want us to be, I want us to settle into what we're thinking about. Hope is not simply hoping for the best, hoping for the better. The sun will come out tomorrow. You know that song? I won't sing it for you. From Annie. It's not just that. Hope is rooted in a person, and if we're going to enter into what the advent of hope means about it, I just want to give us a few moments to to enter into what isn't there first that we would want to be. Um, One of the devotionals that I'm reading uh, is a meditation. It's like a weekly meditation on each of these themes put out by practicingtheway.org, and I had to read this quote to you from it. Every good arrival is preceded by waiting. Isn't that true? Like me waiting at the airport? We're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. Eventually he's going to come. My dad's finally going to come back. It must begin. Hope must begin with awakening, allowing ourselves to a felt awareness of what isn't or maybe what can't be. We only need hope when the moment seems bleak, when it looks as though life is unchangeable, when we're on a path toward what seems like greater pain or grief or loss, then we can really enter into hope. So I want you to just think a minute. What about you? What isn't that you want to be? Maybe you have dreams for your life or where you envisioned it would be at this point, and that does not seem to be coming to fruition. It's called having a midlife adjustment. I'm raising my hand for a reason. I've experienced some of that. Maybe you have pervasive sorrow over losing someone you've loved. Maybe you have physical healing, something wrong with your body that just can't get healed the way you had hoped for, or maybe in someone you care about. Or maybe it's mental or emotional healing that seems like just can't get it. Do you have a guttural sense of loneliness? A lingering sense of failure or shame? Does it seem like there's a yawning distance between you and God or maybe just a sense that he's absent altogether in your life? Maybe it's not that 
Maybe it's not that difficult, maybe, but maybe it's something like this. You, you want to love God more, and you seem unable to love him or people the way you want to. Or maybe there's just this, I, I just don't know why, but I feel like I'm not really flourishing. The Bible, Jesus promised this abundant life, and for some reason, I'm not in it. Just take a minute to sink into your experience of that. This morning, we're looking at an Old Testament text, primarily, Zechariah. That's Elizabeth and Zechariah, that childless couple, the parents of John the Baptist, the story in Luke starts with them. That's his namesake. Zechariah was also a prophet many hundreds of years before Elizabeth and Zechariah were alive. Zechariah is a prophet. It's near the end of the Old Testament, a whole bunch of them. It's one of the last books of the Old Testament. And here's the context for Zechariah. If, if you know a little bit about the Bible, um, you might know that the books of Ezra and Nehemiah describe a time shortly after the people of Israel had been captured by a, another uh, civilization, the civilization of Babylon. They were humiliated. They were enslaved and taken out of their land. Uh, it's actually really ugly. The ugliest things that people do to people, that happened to Israel by Babylon. The worst things you can imagine. And they lived in Babylon for decades. But Zechariah is written, things changed in world powers. You know who's in charge right now in our world? Whoever, you know, just by the way, we're, we're the United States. We kind of like to think that we're in charge. But it, the history of the world says that those powers fall, all of them do. Everyone has. Probably we will as well. My guess is we will. Just in case that you think that America is the greatest. I'm not saying it's not the greatest. But America can fall just like Rome did. Just like all the great powers of the world can. It's really humbling to think about that. That happened to Babylon. They ruled the world and all of a sudden things changed. Like they always do. And Israel was given permission to go back. Go back and rebuild your cities. And your temples. And you can move back there. Decades. Can you imagine like six or seven decades of like we were out and then there's just destruction and then we have to go back and rebuild? What that would be like to be looking around at all the brokenness and little signs of what was. But we're talking, you know, like many of us in this city, many of you probably didn't experience it, but there's some of you that experienced the city when our city went underwater in 1997 and there was just this piles of junk all over the place. Just imagine like, let's just let that happen for like, seven decades, and we don't get to rebuild what that would be like. Now let's go back and rebuild. That's kind of what Israel experienced. So much sorrow. Hope. Where's hope in that, right? Zechariah was a prophet. He was sent. He, he spoke. It's actually a longer of the minor prophets. Let's see how many chapters. I can't remember. I think it's 12. 14 chapters of Zechariah. Zechariah has, um, it's a hope-filled book of the Bible. That's part of his calling. And Zechariah is also known as one of the most messianic of all the books of prophecy. There's a lot of prophecies in Zechariah that point to Jesus. His life, his birth, his death, his experience on the earth. We're going to look at one of them that is actually a little more subtle, but it's still there. So that's the context this morning. 
Let me read you the portion that we're going to look at, and then I'll slow down back through it, okay? It's Zechariah chapter 2. The whole chapter would be great to read. If you read today, I think the reading is Zechariah 10 through 13, which is what we'll focus on, but the whole chapter is good. We'll just read 10 through 13. Here's what it says. You can follow along on the screen. Daughter Zion, that was a nickname for Jerusalem, for Israel in general. Shout for joy and be glad, for I am coming to dwell among you. This is the Lord's declaration. Okay, so this is God speaking. Micah, or I mean, Zechariah is saying it, but he's wanting the people to know this is God said. This is what God says, and God wants you to know this. This is God speaking to you. Okay? Many nations will join themselves to the Lord on that day and become my people. I will dwell among you. I will dwell among you. We're getting prophetic here, messianic. And you will know that the Lord of armies has sent me to you. Now, here's where it gets really messianic because this is the Lord speaking. I will come and you will know that the Lord has sent me to you. There's a little hint of the Trinity there, right? The Lord of armies, one voice. I will come and dwell among you, another voice. You will know that the Lord of armies has sent me to you. The Lord will take possession of Judah as his portion in the Holy Land. And he will once again choose Jerusalem. Let all humanity be silent before the Lord, for from his holy dwelling he has roused himself. Now, like all of the, book of the books of the prophets, they're so dense. There's so much to talk about. I can't talk about even these three, four verses comprehensively, okay? I'm just going to make five observations for you about hope in this passage. Here's first. Daughter Zion... Shout for joy and be glad. The advent of hope, the coming of hope means this. Jesus comes to bring joy to the despairing. Daughter Zion, shout for joy and be glad. Just think, you went back after, this is a couple generations of ruin to try to rebuild what once was but isn't right now. Jesus comes to give joy to the despairing. Despair can become joy but only with hope. Despair and weeping, and weeping through Jesus can be overcome with God's happiness. I'm not, I actually don't differentiate between happiness and joy in the Bible because all of the words that are used are used interchangeably, but there's an understanding of happiness or joy that can be based on our circumstances or on something greater, similar to hope, right? We can hope in our circumstances getting better, or we can hope in the one who's in charge of all the circumstances. And when that happens, despair can be turned to joy because we're not focused on what happens or what doesn't happen. We're focused on the one who's in charge of it all. The Bible elsewhere says, I think in the, one of the Corinthian letters, sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes for the morning. That only happens through Christ, really. It only happens through Christ. Secondly, for I am coming to dwell among you. This is the Lord's declaration. I am coming to dwell among you. This is kind of clearly like God's coming to dwell among you. Of course, this was that these people were rebuilding the temple, the place of worship where God sort of revealed his presence in a unique way. And God was saying, not only will you rebuild a temple, but I will one day come and dwell among you, right with you. Here's the second observation. The coming of hope means this, that Jesus comes to be present with those who feel God's absence. Does he seem absent to anyone today? Does he seem far away? 
What Advent, what we're celebrating in Advent is that God entered the world, that this, this phrase, I'm coming to dwell among you, we're, we're saying that was fulfilled. Jesus came to dwell among real, live people as a baby. The ones to whom God is absent or seems absent becomes the, one, the ones that God lives among. That's what happens in hope, in biblical hope, when we turn our eyes to Jesus. Thirdly, verse 11, many nations will join themselves to the Lord. Many nations will join themselves to the Lord. Again, this is looking forward to what the New Testament talks about the gospel, about who will become God's people. In the Old Testament, there was an understanding that it was really Israel, though there's pockets like this verse and many others where Israel would be the one through whom all other nations could actually get close to God. And that's what Jesus opened the door to, made it very, very clear Many nations will join themselves to the Lord on that day when I come to dwell among you. That's the day they're talking about. And become my people. I will dwell among you and you will know that the Lord of armies has sent me to you. You will have no doubt that God himself has come in that day. Third, here's the third observation. The advent of hope, the coming of hope means Jesus comes to draw close to those who are far away. In this case, it was many nations, many people who did not know the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but he would draw them to us. Today, God has come, Jesus has come to draw you if you're far from God. If you feel like you're far from God, Jesus has come to give you hope by saying, I want to draw you close to me. By the way, the phrase in there that says that day, it, it points to, many point it to, the day of the Lord. That's really the second coming of Christ. And that's kind of like a double fulfillment of this. Jesus comes to open the door for all nations to come. And the second coming, when he comes, all the nations will have come. Every tribe and tongue and nation will be represented in God's people. That's the promise we have in the scriptures. But there's not a second advent of Christ without a first one. That's why it's important to celebrate it, right? If Jesus didn't come the first time, we wouldn't know when he, he, we wouldn't have any certainty that he's going to come the second time, but he did come the first time. That's what we remember during this season. Here's the fourth observation in verse 12. The Lord will take possession of Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and he will once again choose Jerusalem. I love the chosen language. Verse, or the fourth observation is that Jesus comes to choose those who are rejected. Would you feel rejected if your country, let's just talk about our country, we were conquered, carried off to another land for 70 years? Has God left us? That's what these people experienced. Has God left us? Is he really? Now that we're going back, is he going to come back to us? Jesus comes to choose those who are rejected, overlooked, forgotten. If you've ever felt that way, just know that Jesus has come to choose you. Here's the fifth observation. Verse 13 says this, let all humanity be silent before the Lord, for from his holy dwelling he has roused himself. Let all humanity be silent before the Lord. We don't usually like silence. It's usually not a very comfortable experience for most of us. You try to like track how many moments of silence that you're not sleeping. Those don't count. Those not sleeping, um, they're hard for us to endure. Jesus comes to fill 
The busy, that's why we're not silent very often. We fill our lives with stuff. Activity, noise, sound. He comes to fill the busy in the apathetic. And I use that word intentionally because when we choose to fill our lives with noise of any kind and not make room for silence before God, over time we actually do become apathetic in our worship of God. But Jesus has come to fill the busy and the apathetic with worship and wonder. Let me tell you, when the Lord rouses himself, he will have your attention. And he'll have my attention. And there will be a mixture of fear and awe and worship and terror all together. Jesus came to do that for you and I. This season, if you feel busy, if you feel like, is this, is this season really mean anything to me? Just know that Jesus came so that you wouldn't go through Advent, through Christmas, without wonder and worship. He came to actually fill you with it. Hebrews 10.23 says this. This is the New Testament now. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. Do you see where the hope is pointing towards? Our confession of hope is not in stuff, not in things, not in circumstances. It's in he who promised is faithful. That's who we hold on to. I want to ask you the question, what if you invited, as Advent starts, this day is the beginning of Advent, the beginning of celebrating Christ's first coming. What if we just paused and invited Jesus? What if we waited with Jesus in what, whatever isn't that we wished it was, in what makes us sad, in our loss, in what we're lacking, and just said, Jesus, I will wait here with you in that, and I will hope for you in the midst of it. Not that it would change necessarily, but my focus is I'm going to wait with you. I'm going to hope on you, not in things being different. I think that would be a great way to anticipate what we celebrate at Christmas. It would be a real way. Band, you can come on up and we'll sing a song. We have a reason to sing with joy, and it's Jesus. I'm going to remind you what the advent of hope is. The Adventist hope is that Jesus comes, hope comes, to bring joy to the despairing. The advent of hope, Jesus comes, hope comes to those who feel like God is distant. He distant. Jesus comes and hope comes to bring his presence really close to those who feel far away. He comes to bring his acceptance. He chooses you to those who feel rejected or forsaken or overlooked and he comes to bring wonder and worship to those who are apathetic or busy next week we're going to focus on the advent of peace why don't you stand we'll pray and we'll sing this song of praise to the source of our hope our peace and our joy jesus thank you for coming your coming means hope for us. We wouldn't have it without you. We hope in you. You're the one who is in charge of all of the universe. You're in charge of my life circumstances. You're in charge of every life here. And we look to you, we choose to look to you this morning to be our source and experience 